We're coming now to the end of his letter. <clears throat> I know some of you are excited. Uh, somebody mentioned to me the other day that uh, I have taken something that they can read in about 15 minutes and turn it into an eight-week series. I reminded them that they are short-selling me because this is, uh, this is sermon number 12. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, right. And we got one more to go. Woo! A little Ric Flair for you, George. All right. Well, coming now to the end of his letter, Peter returns to what I know is everyone's favorite topic, suffering. Yay! Is this passage that we look at today, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, this passage serves as a sort of conclusion, really, to what he said before. All of chapter 5 are some summary thoughts and, 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 and some final greetings. Here, uh, he, he comes to the conclusion of his, his main sort of uh, focus on the subject of suffering. And, and as he concludes, he's really offering two final thoughts or two final conclusions on the subject of suffering. And, and these are, this entire portion, 12 through 19, every single bit of it is encouragement or exhortation. You, whether you want to call it encouragement, uh, that he's, he's, he's building people up, uh, encouraging them to face suffering, or whether he's exhorting them to, to ha- hold firm, to, to stand fast in their faith, Regardless of what you call it, he, he is calling these sojourners and exiles to rejoice in suffering for Christ and to remain faithful while enduring suffering for Christ. That's the bottom line. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. A common reaction to suffering is surprise. A common reaction to suffering, especially suffering that comes because we're doing something that's good, no good deed goes unpunished, is surprise. I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a good person. I believe in Jesus. Why is this happening? Don't be so surprised, your highness, is what Peter is saying. You know, when Darth Vader confronts Princess Leia for the very first time, in the original Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, they're aboard the Rebel blockade runner. And she's wearing all white, right, the symbol of good and purity, and he's wearing all black, of course, the symbol of evil. And, and she begins to berate him, telling him that, that he's going to be in a lot of trouble when the Senate finds out that he's overtaken this diplomatic mission. And she, he, Darth Vader responds, Don't act so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. She knew what she was getting into when she signed up with the Rebel Alliance. But she tried to huff and puff and bluff her way out of it. And like Princess Leia, we try to do the exact same thing. Surprise, genuine or otherwise, betrays a very misunderstanding, a fundamental misunderstanding, perhaps even a willful ignorance of the reality of just exactly what it is it means to follow Jesus with obedience. Shoot football, shoot sports is a, a major supplier of football helmets for football teams around the nation. On their football helmets is a warning label. And exactly the same warning label they put on their helmet is a pop-up screen. You try to go to their website, and this warning pops up before you can even look at their products. 
The warning label states in bold and in all capital letters. I think that means it's important. No helmet system can protect you from serious brain and or neck injuries, including paralysis or death. And then it says this, to avoid these risks, do not engage in the sport of football. That's fair warning. This major company shouts, fair warning. Even if you use this product, you could die. Princess Leia knew to become involved in the Rebel Alliance means that she could get in trouble with Darth Vader. The original mouth breather, by the way. Ba-dum-ching. Fair warning. That's really what Peter's been talking about his entire letter. Essentially, this is what Peter's been saying about suffering. Believers in Jesus have been given fair warning. It isn't, Jesus isn't just wasting words when he says, to follow me, you must take up your cross. And Jesus doesn't just waste his words, as we read in our gospel account this morning. Jesus doesn't just waste his words at points in the gospel of John. The the, uh, apostle James doesn't just waste his words when he says, uh, what's he say, rejoice in all things or rejoice in this suffering. Peter's not just wasting his words when when he says that. Believers in Jesus have been given fair warning. As sojourners and exiles, believers in Jesus can expect to suffer for Christ. Now, as Peter clarifies in verse 15, he is not talking about suffering that one might receive as the just reward for doing evil. He's not talking about punishment. Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And previously, he has said, what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure. If you get what you deserve, if you get punishment, just punishment for committing a crime or committing a sin, that is not what Peter is talking about here in chapter 4 or in any of his letter. So he's not talking about suffering that is a just reward, nor, nor is Peter talking about the suffering that comes as a natural part of living in a sinful and fallen world where disease and death exist. And listen, folks, it's not that God is not interested in, in suffering with, with illness or disease or with death. He is. That's just not what Peter's talking about here, okay? And Peter is not talking about suffering that comes from being stupid and making bad decisions. Peter is writing about a very specific type of suffering. Suffering that comes about because of faith in Christ. Faith that as a Christian, as a sojourner, as an exile... Peter's been quite clear about this throughout the course of his letter. This type of suffering uh, that that Peter's talking about here is, is that which comes when the world aligned against God and against the gospel strikes out against sojourners and exiles. Believers in Jesus who have been made new in God's grace, given a new way of life, and then have the audacity to live out this new way of life and faith in public. That's the suffering that Peter's talking about here. Sojourners and exiles living 
for the will of God and doing so in public will suffer insults and economic limitations. Like Dr. Mike Adams. He was an atheist professor of criminology. Regularly, he was awarded and promoted for his work. But around the year 2000, he found himself on the receiving end of, of baseless accusations. He was denied a promotion to full professor, even as his work continued to surpass his colleagues in both quality and quantity. What changed? In the year 2000, Dr. Adams became a believer in Jesus, and his conversion changed his political and ethical views. That's the kind of suffering Peter's talking about. Social marginalization because of Jesus. Here in Florida, in May of 2015, there's a little 12-year-old boy who had the guts to read his Bible in class during their free reading time, only to be humiliated publicly by his teacher. That's the kind of suffering that that Peter's talking about here. And perhaps uh, sojourners and exiles, because of their faith in Jesus, will face death. In October 2012, the last Christian in the city of Homs, Syria, was murdered. A teenage girl who was able to escape the city with part of her family explained, we left because they were trying to kill us. They wanted to kill us because we were Christians. An elderly woman added, anyone who believes in the cross suffers. I'm not quite sure you heard what I said. The last Christian in an entire city was murdered. The city of Mosul in uh, Iraq, I'm sure I mispronounced it, in Iraq, there aren't any Christians there anymore or they're very close to being wiped out, either driven out or murdered. Why? Because they believe in Jesus. That is the kind of suffering that Peter is talking about here. And he says, fair warning, don't be surprised when it happens. Now, the reality is that in Peter's day, and in quite many parts of our modern world, believers in Jesus wouldn't be surprised. In in Peter's day, and in many parts of our modern world, sojourners and exiles living this new way of life came and come into direct conflict with the social and cultural norms by which they were surrounded. In the earliest church, Christians were called haters of humanity because they would not share in the debauchery of the world around them. They wouldn't even pinch a little bit of incense to Caesar to go along and get along. And in our world today, there are parts of this world, and in parts of uh, not just the Middle East, but other parts of this world, in which to follow after Jesus is to come in direct conflict with norms and to receive suffering. Here in America, however, we are quite often caught off guard and surprised And I think there's a theological reason for that. Ajith Fernando is a Sri Lankan theologian, and he says this, I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western church is a defective understanding of suffering. There seems to be a lot of reflection on how to avoid suffering and on what to do when we hurt. We have a lot of teaching about escaping from suffering and and therapy for suffering. The good life, comfort, convenience and a painless life have become necessities that people view as basic rights. And it isn't just out there in self-help seminars. This view 
is found in a church. This is preaching and teaching of what Christian Smith calls moral therapeutic deism is clearly unbiblical as it contains half-truths and outright lies. Live your best life now is a phrase one of these teachers uses to tickle ears as if the best life now is made up of huge houses, fancy cars, and robust bank accounts. Philosopher and poet from the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, named Braille says this preacher saw them dollar signs, he on that paper chase. He's just trying to make money. Stuffing profits in his pockets, a wolf in a sheep's appearance, and the reason he's making that scratch is because he's those ears itch. He's pimping out the gospel, a prostitution of false doctrine. Lies whistle in the wind. The biggest problem with this sort of Uh, If you believe in Jesus, you'll have your best life now, and the best life now looks like absolutely zero suffering. The biggest problem with that is that there's the implication if you don't receive these type of blessings, then your faith is lacking or not existent, and that is not the gospel. Not only do, do folks like this miss out on sin and atonement and resurrection and life in Jesus, but sins like people like this miss out on the very real fact that suffering for Jesus is because of your faith, not contradictory to your faith. And so when you listen to that and you come into suffering because of Jesus, you've got nothing to hang on to. And you can't stand it. You will be surprised. Faith based upon this will indeed be surprised by suffering for Jesus because it ignores Peter's words. It ignores words from the Apostle James, words from the Lord Jesus himself. As he says in John chapter 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Don't be so surprised, your highness. Blessed are you when... Not if, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rather than be surprised in the face of suffering, Peter calls believers to rejoice in it. And that's topsy-turvy. Who wants to rejoice in the face of suffering? I want to alleviate it. I want to run away from it. Peter says rejoice in it, baby. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice now in the midst of suffering, Peter says, because there is in Christianity delayed gratification, whether it is through your passing or through Jesus' return again, glory is coming. And if you suffer now with Christ in his suffering, you will, Peter says, rejoice in his glory when he comes. So there is a future tense way in which Christians are called to live now, even when it hurts, and especially when it hurts, because of Jesus. Jesus is the cause, so to speak, of the pain and the alleviation of the pain. Rejoice now in the midst of suffering because suffering on account of Jesus is a revelation and confirmation of deep connection, deep union with Christ. Rejoice because it is a blessing. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
It's not as if God says, listen, go and live your life now. Look forward to this future blessing and, and do the best you can. Just, you know, I'm not going to leave you with any tools or anything like that. I'm just going to let you muddle through and, and get there on your own. That's not exactly what God does, is it? You are in, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And suffering for Christ is a blessing because in it, the believer in Jesus is not alone. Never alone. Never left to your own devices to muddle your way through life and somehow, if you can, by the skin of your teeth, achieve glory. Never alone to do that. Always with God. We love to quote that psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. But do we really believe it? Do we? God says here, Peter says here, God speaking through Peter, of course, the Spirit is with those who suffer for Christ. And maybe it's in suffering that the presence of the Holy Spirit is most experienced as he pulls the blinders away from our eyes and, and pulls away the cotton from our ears. He strips us of our self-sufficiency, shows us just how much we need him, and he strengthens our faith. He gives us a foretaste of future heavenly glory. Suffering for Christ is a blessing because it is an honor in God's eyes, and he is glorified. This is the true best life now. Trusting in God, having the presence of the Holy Spirit with you, whether it's good or whether it's bad, the context that you're in, the Holy Spirit with you. That is the true best life now. The life filled with the Holy Spirit, lived in obedience to Christ, even while suffering because God's blesses with his grace is unimaginable and glorious. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The world thinks suffering for Jesus is stupid or disgraceful. But in God's eyes, it's a badge of honor. A badge of honor because suffering for Jesus confirms the believer's connection, union with Christ. A badge of honor as it reveals the believer's resolution to be done with sin, to live for God. A badge of honor because to suffer like this is to join with Christ, to follow him, to glorify God. Stand fast then, hold firm, Peter encourages audience then and now, because the suffering is not what the world thinks it is. This suffering, suffering for Jesus, the world thinks, is condemnation. But it ain't what it is. Not in God's eyes, not in his economy. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? These fiery trials, these sufferings for the name of Christ are part of God's judgment. And most commonly, when we think about judgment, we think almost solely in terms of condemnation. No, there is, however, a sense in which the word is to be understood as a testing or a discernment. These sufferings then, suffering for the name of Christ, suffering because you're a sojourner in exile, you don't share in the beliefs, the priorities, or the values of the cultures around you, these sufferings then are, are part of God's testing, his discerning, can we say, his sorting of the people. 
When we all know that when faced with suffering, we always have two options from which to choose. We can either cut and run and thus alleviate the suffering, or we can hold fast even and especially in the face of suffering. The way a believer in Jesus responds to suffering then is a sort of sorting, a testing, a judging. And as Peter has stated in his first chapter, suffering tests faith. And for those who cling to God all the more, empowered by the Holy Spirit, suffering strengthens faith. God is even at work in the fiery trials, evaluating and and sorting those who are his. God is at work in the fiery trials, refining and strengthening the faith of those who cling to him. Far from the idea that following Jesus is all bubbles and kittens and chocolate badminton with Jerry Orbach, following Jesus means following in his footsteps, in his lifestyle, living as a sojourner in exile, and that means suffering. Suffering used by God. And if this is the lot of believers in Jesus now, to suffer in the name of Christ because of Christ. We must recognize then that there will be glory in the future as Jesus comes. And if this is the lot of believers in Jesus now, these fiery trials, what are the prospects of those who reject Jesus and his offer of life? They're dim. That's the point of verse 18, I think. Peter here is not calling into question the sufficiency of Jesus as if we are in Jesus just barely Saved. I think Peter is, is calling into or making the statement that if believers suffer fiery trials now and in this life, and yet in the future will rejoice in the glory of Jesus, what is to be expected for non believers who may now enjoy some fleeting glory as they look to the future? And maybe that's what I think is the hardest part of, of suffering for the name of Christ in this life, is it goes against the, the grain of our natural selves, loving Jesus. Being obedient to God and living as sojourners and exiles, we, we seem to expect, whether we state it or not, we, we seem to expect that God would pour out favor in the form of an easy life. That goes back to what I said about living the best life now. And we seem to expect that those who deny Jesus and reject his offer of new life would receive levels of punishment and pain now and in this life, but that's not what happens. Quite frankly, the greatest reward for believers is a delayed gratification. What are believers to do then as the world continues to oppress and suppress, as the darkness continues to reject the light? What, is the, what are believers to do as those who believe in Jesus' name continue to be maligned and marginalized and murdered? Peter's response is verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I mean, just as sort of an aside, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. It's it's tricky sometimes to talk about, did God will for this suffering? Does he want for this suffering? I think we need to understand that God wants his people to live as his people, even if that means suffering. We also need to say, understand that sometimes God allows for those things which he may not necessarily like because through them he's doing a good work. And sometimes I, I think we have to understand that sometimes things happen in life 
and God uses them to point us towards Jesus all the more. And so those who suffer because they're living as sojourners and exiles, because they are marked and set apart, <coughs> set out, living differently, those who are suffering because they believe in Jesus, let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I think Peter, in his Holy, in Holy Spirit-inspired brilliance, this is the only time in all of Scripture or in all of 1 Peter's letter here that I believe he ever talks about God being the creator. And look at what he's doing. When you're in the face of suffering because you believe in Jesus, entrust yourself not, not to some local bully, strong man. Entrust yourself not to the power of your own right hand. Entrust yourself not to a president. And trust yourself to the one who has power over all of creation. From the sun to Pluto and beyond. And trust yourself to the one who called all things into existence. And trust yourself into the, the hands of the one who has every power. And trust yourself into the hands of the one who made you. Knows the number of hairs on your head. Counts you far more worth than a sparrow who falls he knows the sparrow. In the face of suffering, entrust yourself into the hands of the Creator. Who else can say that? And the only way to entrust ourselves into the hands of the Creator is because the Creator is also the one who redeems. The Creator is the one who redeems through Jesus. And the only way we can entrust ourselves into the hands of the Creator is to have standing before the Creator because of Jesus' blood. And the only way we can entrust ourselves into the, the hands of the faithful Creator is in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a magnificent statement from Peter coming near the end of his letter. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator faithful creator, not an ambivalent creator, not a creator who feels, eh, some days I like you, some days I don't, not a creator who's driven by emotions, the way I feel about you, but a faithful creator while doing good, while doing good, continuing to live as a sojourner and an exile. The appropriate response to suffering for Christ is to continue to believe in Christ and to entrust the entirety of the self into God's great good and glorious hands. And that's the true best life now. Entrusting one's life into the hands of God no matter what comes. Ultimately, it is God who will judge as his judgment is proclaimed and passed through Jesus Christ. And thus, believers in Jesus have no need to fear God's judgment. The one who judges is the one who saves. And so, like Jesus did throughout his life and ministry upon the earth, believers in Jesus are to continually entrust all that they are into God's hands while continuing to live as God would have his holy nation live, with appropriate social relationships, respecting those in authority and fearing God, loving one another with humility, hospitality, and service. 
not allowing the fear of suffering or suffering itself to deflect faith from Jesus. And rather than being surprised by sufferings, rejoice in them as badges of honor in God's eyes and opportunities to glorify him all the more. Don't be so surprised, your highness. Peter calls sojourners and exiles to rejoice in suffering for Christ and to remain faithful while enduring it. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.